Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Something that we've all experienced here. We've all suffered in some way or another. And it's actually a big question in the Bible. From the third chapter of this book to the last chapter of this book, the question of suffering rings throughout all these pages. It kind of is, has that question. Why is there suffering in this world? Now, I know the title, If God is Good, uh, no, the title is, If God is Good, Why is There Suffering? And first off, I want to say I'm not going to answer all of your questions because having 25 minutes to answer a question like this is sinister. Uh, but hopefully we'll get to some, and you'll see the number on the bottom of the, of the screen there, and do text your questions in, and we'll hopefully we'll be able to deal with them. Now, there are intellectual answers, and we'll get to a bit of those, but one of the reasons why this is such an important question is because it's more than just something intellectual. It's emotional. It's something we've experienced, something we've all been a part of. We've all suffered. And we suffer in different measures and in different ways, but nobody is immune to the brokenness of this world. Christianity doesn't give an answer to every instance of suffering. It doesn't explain why everything happens the way it does. And the answers that we do get, uh, they don't take away the pain that we feel. I know this from experience, just like many of you, but there's one in particular experience uh, that I'll be talking about as we go through this question this morning. I started eight years ago. At 5.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from Special Agent Skinner from the FBI telling me I was under arrest for suspicion of fraud. Turns out my father was the ringleader of a massive mortgage fraud operation. About 20 people were working under him, millions of dollars were involved, my dad made a lot, a lot of money. And my father used me, and among other things, uh, created a fraudulent mortgage with my information. And when the FBI finally caught up with him, because he was kind of on the run for a couple years, he said that I was guilty as well, so that he would get a little bit more lenient of a prison sentence. And that's how I ended up in, pr in a prison cell for a day. I was arrested, I was waiting to see a judge, and all the processing things, DNA swabs, my hands were shackled, my feet were shackled, photos, fingerprints. I was alone in a cell, I was hungry because they forgot to feed me lunch that day, among everything else, and I was seriously cold, it was very, really, it was really cold there. And so eventually, through this, I got to see a judge and I shuffled with my shackles into the courtroom. I sat down and a piece of paper outlining the charges against me is placed in front of me, and this is what I see first. United States of America versus me. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Now, Christianity doesn't give me a reason why my father threw me under the bus for a few bucks and a little bit less jail time. But Christianity does give me the reason for why suffering exists. And it does give me the best resources to face it with guts and hope instead of giving up. So the story, this question of how did we get here? How did I get here? How did we get here? It's a question that we all have. What is our story about? How did we get to this place? And this is, about, this is typically how our thoughts about suffering normally go. We point our finger at God and we say, you created us. Things aren't right down here. What's wrong with you? We say, God, some of us in the human family decide to blow other people up. What's wrong with you, God? 
or some people in this world that you've created decide to take advantage of people in the worst possible ways. What's wrong with you, God? Some of us are angry and envious and all sorts of things. What's wrong with you, God? But who should that finger be pointing to? What's wrong with us? I mean, do we bear any responsibility for the way things are? Or is it really just a way for us to say, how dare you, God, create this world the way it is? Why couldn't God have made a world where everything was perfect? Actually, he did, and we messed it up. We'll talk about that in a second. Well, okay, if, if that's the case, then why couldn't have God made beings that perfectly obeyed and never created any problems? Um, actually, he did. That's how the angels are described. But when God made humans, he gave us a thing called responsibility. He chose to create beings that had a certain level of freedom, and with that comes responsibility in our freedom. So Christianity explains the beginning of suffering in this way, that God set up a perfect world, and he made humans to live in this world. Everything was set up for us. And in what would eventually unfold as true human fashion, we messed it up, we made a mess of it. We told God, thanks, this is really great, uh, but no thanks, I've got to figure out how to do this by myself. We disobeyed him, and that disobedience has consequences. That created a mess, and that's when suffering became part of our story. We've created the conditions for suffering to exist. Now, we may not always be responsible for the particular aspects of suffering. Like, I'm not responsible for what my father did to me, but I am responsible as part of a human family of creating the conditions for something like this horrible thing to exist. Now, maybe that doesn't sound fair, uh, it sounds, especially in our individualistic lives, the idea that somebody messed up somewhere else and so we're in the, in, in, feeling the circumstances, feeling the, uh, the responsibility. But think about this. Even in an individualistic worldview, you have had freedom in your actions. There are probably very few of you have ever had a gun to your head telling you what to do and how to do it. And with this freedom, we've made mistakes, right? Nobody here is perfect. These mistakes come with responsibility and consequences, just like everything else. So when someone tells you not to touch the stove, what do you instantly want to do? Ooh, I wonder what that feels like. And if it was you or me or anyone else, we all would have made the same choice in the beginning of that perfect world. We all eventually, at one point, eventually, we all would have said, thanks God, but no thanks, I'm going to figure out how to do this on my own. And we continue to make those choices daily, over and over and over. And we continue to uh, make these, uh, these choices, and they end up being like these tiny little deaths, these tiny little disruptions in the, with the way things ought to be. These little eruptions here, things we ought not to do, but we do them, things we ought to do, but don't do. There are consequences to this, and all these little deaths keep on adding up. Where do they go? We're living in it. We've created our environment full of little deaths. Things are not right, but we as a human family have all participated in the not rightness. We've created the conditions for suffering to exist, so we've made our bed, now we have to lie in it. So Christianity explains the existence of suffering by this. We are broken. What's wrong with the world out there? It's a reflection of what's going on in here. Suffering isn't so much a mystery, really, as it's something we just don't want to be true. And it's good to not want that to be, to, to not have that to be true, especially when we're in it and we don't understand it, like cancer, like abuse, like death. 
I think the real question that we all want to know is, how do we deal with suffering? How do we cope with it? What does it even mean? What does suffering even mean? So Christianity is not going to give us an answer to every instance of your particular areas where you've suffered, but it does give us the best way to engage with it. We can face it with guts and hope. And so because of that, we're going to focus on two basic realities of Christianity and suffering. The first is that God enters our story. And the second is that God changes our story. So let's start with this God entering our story. So the story of suffering is ours to own. It's our story. We are complicit in it. We've participated in it. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And some religions or worldviews say that you just have to rise above this. Some religions are ways to make rungs on a ladder more accessible to people so you can pull yourself up from this kind of cruel universe. But not everyone rises above, though, do they? Christianity is something that's a little bit different. Christianity has a view of the world that it might actually be more dismal than most religions because what Christianity says is you actually can't pull yourself up. No matter what kind of ladder, no matter how close you pull those rungs towards you to, to climb out, you actually are not able to do it yourself. Christianity says you are not strong enough by yourself to overcome suffering, so instead of God waiting for us to come to him, which is never gonna happen, God comes to us. Our story is suffering, and God enters our story. The Old and New Testaments use the name Emmanuel to describe Jesus. If you don't know what that means, it means God with us, actually with us. It's not the type of God with us where he's there at the party and he's texting other people, trying to find people who are way more interesting than you, um, or just kind of aloof. He's there, but not really there. One uh, translation has this. It says, um, Jesus uh, took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. He's not absent. He's not viewing us from far away. He came to be here with us, knowing from experience what it's like to be one of the creatures he created. He was born as a baby. Isn't that strange and weird? He learned things. He had emotions. He wept when his friend died. He knew what it was like to be alone, to be hungry, to be cold, to be falsely accused, rejected. He's walked in our shoes and can empathize with us in our range of experiences. So Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. Jesus, the creator of the world, humbled himself as one of us. He was falsely accused by the political establishment, by the religious establishment. He was beaten and tortured to death as he slowly suffocated on the cross. And though the physical pain is a horrible thing, what's worse than that is the spiritual pain. Because the Bible says that Jesus took on the sins of the world. All those little deaths that we have been busy piling up, putting everywhere, kind of all those little deaths that this world is filled up with, all of that was upon Jesus on the cross. And from eternity, the Son and the Father had experienced this perfect kind of relationship. On the cross, where Jesus took everything of ours wrong upon himself, there was a fracture in that relationship, a broken relationship between the Father and the Son, something that has never happened before. The spiritual weight of the world was upon Jesus, and this is something far beyond we will ever experience. It was so horrible that while Jesus was hanging there, he yelled out to his father, why God, why have you deserted me? The question of why God isn't an intellectual question. He's not asking for information. He knew why he was at the cross. He told the disciples multiple times beforehand why he was there. But the question of why God is, it's a sound of agony, a sound of immeasurable pain, of pain beyond understanding. You see, Jesus asks why God, just like we do. Now, Christianity does not promise a lack of suffering. 
our leader suffered massively, but it gives us hope while in it. And part of that hope is that God is not far off. He's with us. He enters our story and he's with us. Now you might say, like we all do, I, I don't see that, right? Especially when you're in it, it's really hard to see that. Well, Christina and I stayed in um, Cheshire one night. We had to travel from Manchester, and so we got there when it was a little bit late, and uh, where we were going, there was all these like, small country roads, and it was hard to see the road signs, and by then the sat-nav had give up. It was like, I don't even know where, where your guys are going. So we had to turn around a whole bunch. Eventually, we got to where we had to go. Um, we made it there eventually. Then in the next day, we set off on a walk, and as we were walking around, the same place where we were driving around circles and circles, we see this, Beeston Castle. It's up on a hill. It's unmissable. You just can't miss it. It's a massive hill on a castle on top of a hill. We could not see this castle while we were driving around in the night, driving around in circles, wondering where we were going. It's a bit hard to miss, though, during the day. Sometimes it's near impossible to see something, no matter how real, no matter how big, when it's night. But that doesn't change the fact that it's there. Just because we can't see him, that we can't feel him, doesn't change the truth that we have a God who is there, one who identifies with us in every way, including our suffering. So when you think, nobody understands how I feel, and that might be true as far as humans are concerned, but there is one person who is with you and understands. So Christianity says God enters our story of suffering. But this God does something more because with Christianity, we don't just have a God who enters into our suffering. We have a God who takes on our suffering. I mean, it's one thing to have a friend be with you when you're in a hard place, and that's great. But what if you could have a friend who is actually able to affect the situation and affect the way you looked at it? I mean, that's what I needed in my story. Eventually, my case went to a federal trial. I needed someone with me, but I needed something more than that. I needed someone powerful to help me, to face the situation with guts because I wanted to give up so many times. After a week of a federal trial, um, where the prosecution is trying to talk about how guilty I was, the judge put everything on pause, and then he said one of the most beautiful sentences I've ever heard. But up until that moment, it was two years, two years of my arrest to a trial of just living in fear of what does it mean to go to prison? How do you love your, care for your wife when you're in prison? Uh, what does that mean for being a pastor who had prison time? I had, to, um, had weekly calls and checkups every week. If I had to travel anywhere, I had to call somebody and ask, and ask if I could do that. I couldn't leave the state. And every time a cop would pass by, I would just get super tense. It was horrible. And it was years of this, and the list goes on. It was years of being alone and tired and sad and depressed and just wanting to give up. But that was all undone with these six words from the judge that he told me that day. He said, son, you are free to go. What actually happened is he ended up throwing the case out completely because there was a lack of evidence against me. And now it's as if I'd actually never been charged at all. So that was it. The case was over. The charges were thrown out. My record was changed. I could have went to prison. But even if the worst would have happened, that doesn't change the truth of anything I just said or will say. Jesus entering my story of suffering is what kept me going. I didn't have any other thing to hold on to. That gave me the guts over those two years. You know, maybe that sounds easy for me to say now in my position because it's gone. But it's often in these times of suffering where we want to or tend to walk away from our faith. That actually does not make any sense at all. Why would you walk away from the one thing that actually has the ability to give you hope? 
What advantage is it to walk away from a faith like this in the time of our biggest need? Our faith in Jesus and the community of Christians around us, Christina and I, were the only things that kept us going. So if you are going through something and you're tending towards walking away, or you're using that as an excuse to not actually engage with the God who is there, man, press in. You really need this. There is no advantage to turning your back on the only thing that can give you hope. And Christianity offers a way to have hope while free or while falsely accused in chains. Now, how is that not crazy to say? It's because there is a truth that does transcend our circumstance. There is a hope that's true no matter what might happen. Christianity doesn't undo any kind of suffering. If anything, it says we're worse off than we thought, right? The rung is on the ladder. We can't do it ourselves. And though we are worse off than we originally thought, at the same time, we can have more hope than we originally thought even while suffering, because God doesn't just enter our story, he changes our story. And this is why Jesus rising from the dead is such a big deal. This is why Christians celebrate Easter Sunday in such a big, massive fashion, because the resurrection is where we place all of our hope. Someone who can identify with us, especially if that's some kind of God, that's of some benefit, but what about someone who can do something about it? That's a God worth worshiping. There's one letter in the New Testament written about exactly this. One Peter was written to people who are currently suffering and who were about to suffer some more, and Liz read this earlier. This praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So it says we get new birth into a living hope. So on one hand, we know what we've been born into. We've been born into suffering. But on the other hand, we can be born into something else. We can be born into a living hope. And this hope is described as alive. It's not pie in the sky. It's not some kind of opiate for the masses. It's something living, something real. It also says that Christians have been born into an inheritance. This is something that we were born into. This inheritance is the world made new. It's an inheritance of a world where one day all will be made right. Things aren't right in this world currently. But one day, in this new world, they will be. All that's crooked will be made straight. All that's broken will be restored. Our dead, dry bones will rise again, and that is our inheritance. It will be the end of all those little deaths that we've been storing up. And this all comes about, Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus. So here's how that works. For those who are part of Jesus' family... We're connected to him in very important ways. Because Jesus died, our deaths can be swallowed up. And the ultimate suffering, death itself, will be swallowed up. Because Jesus rose again, he gives, he gives us his new life. That means we're enabled to live through suffering today because we're looking towards something hopeful. We're looking towards hope. The Christian hope is a world we look forward to, and it's a world that we can reflect today. And it's only with this hope that we can have the guts to face the hard things of today. It's like riding a mountain bike, uh, which I used to do back in another life. And the way to not fall off your bike isn't to look at your wheel. It isn't to look at what's right in front of you. The way to not fall off your bike, if there's a lot of things going on, is to look at the trail down in front of you. Not right what's going on, but you look out there so, it can, so you don't fall off when you're right here. That's what a living hope looks like, looking towards hope and living it out today. Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, this is great and stuff, but this is just kind of too good to be true. This kind of sounds kind of fake. It just sounds too good. 
Well, it is too good, but it is true. And maybe you feel like it's the castle in the night. You're driving around trying to navigate this world in the darkness, not really sure what roads you're going, probably needing to U-turn a few times. But at all the same time, that castle is still there, whether you can see it or not. And don't let your lack of imagination let you settle for something less. Just because you can't imagine this to be true, don't let your lack of imagination let you settle for something less in this life. Now, explaining or reasoning about suffering can never take the pain away. The pain is real and it's there. But Christianity says suffering isn't a complete waste. There's something that comes from suffering. There's um, maybe a way to illustrate this. There's this yellow paint color called uh, gamboge. It's made in this really interesting way. These are these little pellets that are collected. Uh, sap um, from trees over years are collected into these little pellets. Ugly things. Uh, by themselves, not really useful for anything other than just kind of looking ugly. But, uh, <laughs> but eventually, they get ground and ground and ground. They get pulverized. They're kind of broken beyond recognition. This is, this is what those pellets look like, ground up. And eventually, what it can do is it becomes a watercolor that you can paint with. Now those ugly pellets can be used for something better than what they originally were. To be used as an instrument of beauty, those ugly pellets had to go through that pulverizing, suffering kind of process. There was no other way. So beauty can come from brokenness. For new life, the old has to die. And now whatever you want to say about God and suffering, and maybe you're still angry, about him, angry to him about it, whatever you want to say about that, we can say this, he takes his own medicine. Because Jesus was ground down, was destroyed, was pulverized, was broken beyond recognition. And in this, he took our brokenness upon himself. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he gives us his new life. He has overcome death itself. So he takes on our brokenness, and he gives us his beauty. It just seems too good to be true. And we may not know exactly how our suffering will give birth to beauty. Sometimes it's a mystery. We're not always going to have all these answers. And there will always be the question, was this for nothing? And the story of the Bible from beginning to end is about humans asking this very question. Why, God? Why? And God responds to us, not so much with an answer to that question, but with a solution. He enters our story. He changes our story. And so to you right now, everyone who's sitting here, know this. Jesus knows you, and he's active in your life even now, whether you can see it or feel it or not. Jesus is saying now, right now to you, I'm making everything new. Do you want to be new? If you're skeptical, which is understandable, ask Jesus to reveal something to you. I mean, how could that hurt? If Jesus isn't real or is there and he doesn't care, then it couldn't hurt to actually ask him if he's there and if he cares. There are three ways to do that. One is um, reading the Bible. Jesus speaks through the Bible. Uh, the way, easiest way to do that might be with studying it with somebody else who knows a little bit about it. There's also prayer. You can pray to him right now as you're sitting. Pray to him at any time that you want and ask him about these things. Um, there's also Jesus reveals himself through other people. If you have a friend who knows about Jesus, ask that friend about who Jesus is. Um, in the next few weeks, we talked about it earlier, there'll be a course um, where there'll be a group of us together wanting to know more about who Jesus is and what he's about. Um, if you're interested in that, uh, you can talk to me about that. So what we really have found, though, today, this morning, is that we have a story of suffering. It's part of all, it's, we're all part of that story. God enters our story, and he changes it from suffering to hope, from brokenness to beauty. 
I mean, wouldn't it be great if this was true? Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.